cameo mentioned that we have awakened tonight, and I would like to um, preface it with an article, um, something that's been going on in our country the last few days. Um, hundreds of Korean intercessors coming to pray for America on anniversary of historic Billy Graham crusade. That's happened this past week and is concluding today. So let's take a look at South Korea. There it is. Um, just to give you a, an idea of where this is coming from. Um, man, you go back to the Korean War and how that country went through all kinds of stuff. North Korea today run under communist rule and the suffering their people are going through. But South Korea, God's doing some cool stuff. And, um, um, and then let's take a look at this church, man, in South Korea. That's a prayer meeting. Okay, that's one church and that's a prayer meeting. That should really encourage us, friends. Douglas Small, president of Project Pray, is encouraging churches across the country in America to open their doors for prayer today. To pray for the nation, America, for a spiritual awakening. Twenty teams of intercessors are associated with the World School of Prayer in Seoul, South Korea. The intercessors are visiting on the 49th anniversary of Billy Graham's 1973 crusade in Seoul. The historic event drew more than three million people, and approximately 75,000 of them placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So what happened from that? Korean Christians say it changed the direction of their country. After the crusade, the prayer revival broke out in many churches in South Korea. Aaron Park, executive director of the World School of Prayer, said, through the prayer revival and church growth, God brought us the blessing economically and spiritually. Now the grandchildren of that revival are returning to give America a spiritual boost. Aren't you grateful for that, man? You think we need a spiritual boost right now? I think we do. We realize it's time for us to go and pay back our spiritual debt to America with prayer. So let's go and humble, humbly serve the American church with prayer. Doug Small, the president of Project Pray, said it's no coincidence that the Korean intercessors are coming on the anniversary of the Seoul Crusade. We're believing that this can be a watershed moment for America that not just enriches us, but changes the nation. I say yes to that. We desperately need it. And a footnote in Revelation 5.8, it says the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. This is happening around the throne the throne of God. They held gold bowls, which are the prayers of God's people. Friends, when you pray, God collects your prayers in heaven. 
You may feel like prayer might be a waste of time. You don't see God working, but every prayer you utter, it is collected in a bowl in heaven. That's how important it is to pray. Which, again, are the prayers of God's people. And I would just like to challenge you, friends, wherever you are, that you'll commit to coming out tonight because personally, I believe our country is on a precipice and we need God's help. We we desperately need it. And if we are committed to that, if we believe in prayer, then come out tonight and let's pray together. Let's worship together. Because even as we did already this morning to tell God how great he is, right? He's a great God and he's faithful. And, and, um, and with that, let's pause and agree with these intercessors from South Korea. Father, we come to you this morning. And we pray for America. And Lord, when we go back to the founding fathers and how you were personally involved in orchestrating events and circumstances to plant this nation in North America to be the light around this world and sending out missionaries proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You had a plan, Lord. You had a plan then and you have a plan today. And we come to you, Lord, with humility, with um, a passion for our country to see you renew us spiritually once again. And quite frankly, Lord, we, even as followers of Christ, man, maybe we need a little kick, man, to get us rolling and pursuing you the way we should in these days. Lord, we realize we can always find time to fill our time, but to make an investment with you, Lord, that counts for all eternity. And today we ask you for your mercy and grace upon this great land. In Jesus' name, amen. I've already welcomed you, right? We're, We're good. We're good. So we can press on. Um, hopefully you have your outline sitting by you, and uh, those of you online, you've pulled it up already, so you're ready to roll. Um, Reese Kaufman was, uh, was raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. He was raised in a Christian home, and at the age of eight, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ, and because of that commitment to Christ, it radically Uh, gave him direction for his future. And he was a successful manufacturer in in Indianapolis for some years before becoming president of the Child Evangelism Fellowship. Some lessons he learned in the business world, he has helped him with his life um, and his ministry once he got involved with the Child Evangelism Fellowship program. This is what he says. One Friday afternoon, I drove home in a state of depression. Maybe you're here today watching online and you feel like you're in a state of depression. God knows. He sees. 
I lost four major accounts that week, customers I had worked hard to develop. Losing just one of them would have been a major blow to our company. But to lose all four in one week, man, I could see my business crashing. So when he came home, his wife, Linda, saw how discouraged he was and um, suggested that he take his canoe out to the White River and uh, get some alone time, get some new perspective. And so he thought, yeah, that's a good idea. So he says, I launched the canoe into the White River and started paddling upstream towards the bridge. As I paddled, I talked to myself, asking myself questions and working through my emotions verbally. Some of these questions, maybe these are questions you're asking right now. Is God sovereign over my life? Yes or no? Reese said, yes, he is. Does he love me? Yes or no? Reese said, yes, he does, with a love beyond comprehension. Another question, would God hurt me? No, he wouldn't. He would never hurt me. He's my heavenly father who works everything for my good. And then Reese concluded, if those things are true, what am I worried about? (laughs) I just don't know, man. I just don't know. Why am I worried if God has my life in his hands? That goes for you and me this morning. And as I thought those, through those things from a heavenly or biblical perspective, the cloud that I was carrying lifted off. My countenance changed and my joy returned and I turned the canoe around and returned to my house a different man. Later I realized the Lord was deleting some of these smaller accounts that I had just lost that really weren't that profitable anyway. And he cleared them off my agenda to make room for larger and better accounts that were coming. I also realized that it grieves the Lord when we don't trust him. He's never failed us. He's never failed us. When I, when I think of this, I, there's a song, a worship song I've been listening to. God, you've been faithful. And so I will trust you. God, you've been faithful. There's a history. And so I will trust you. That's what Reese was realizing. He said, I can't tell you how many times, both in business and in ministry, I've had to metaphorically get back into that canoe. And remind myself that whenever I'm fretting, it's because I'm not thinking biblically or seeing clearly. Reese Kaufman learned to get his eyes off the temporary in his life and onto the God over his life. He learned that. He learned that lesson. And maybe today you, wherever you may be, you need to get into that canoe, man that uh, symbolic canoe where you can kind of remind yourself of the faithfulness of God, that God has his hand on your life, that he has not forgotten you, and he's going to see you through. So for Reese Kaufman, uh, when you track his life, man, he is finished strong 
in his walk with Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to encourage all of us today to do that very same thing. Shall we? Let's go to the book of Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and you can track. Paul writing, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. To think Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi in Greece while he's in Rome under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. Lord, we thank you that in 2022, this, this, these verses are so relative to where we're at today in our world. How practical they are. And that's why we just say thank you, Lord, for giving us the Bible, that we can read it. Not only read it, but we can apply it to our lives. And we know that when we read your word that our lives are transformed from the inside out. And we also realize that there are people who say they're followers of Christ that don't read the Bible, and they wonder why their life is so boring. Man, today, Lord, will you just, man, will you just do what you want to do? Spirit of God, do what you want to do what you need to do. Because we need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, we know, has been maligned. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. And in this short letter... You will pick up, after reading it, it takes you about 17 minutes. That's not in your Evelyn Wood speed reading style, but reading it, meditating on it. You'll realize that Paul is not in a corner feeling sorry for himself. He's not uh, having a self-pity party. No, he isn't. He is excited to be under house arrest because he gets to tell these guards, Soldiers about Jesus. Does that get you fired up when you get to tell people about Jesus, man? You need a shot in the arm spiritually? Tell somebody about Jesus, man. You'll get that uh, spiritual adrenaline rolling. Boom! Man. And here we are, Paul under house arrest and, and... and light is penetrating that, that room that he's 
been committed to. The light of Jesus Christ shining bright. And he gives us some really strong encouragement here. We know that Paul was committed to that church in Philippi. He hadn't been back in 10 years, and he's writing this letter because he's hearing some stuff, some good stuff and some discouraging things going on with the people, and he wants to encourage them to press on in their walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling as well. Maybe the last week, month, man, we're almost, you know, we're in the the sixth month of 2022. Can you believe it? The first Sunday in June, friends, and you're here. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And we need to be committed. As Paul was committed in encouraging the people 800 miles away. Now listen, we sang that song, I'm going to see a victory. We Remember we sang it? 15, 20 minutes ago. I'm going to see a victory. Do you realize that that's what God wants for you? He wants you to uh, be a man and woman of faith, of, of resilience, of endurance. That's what he wants. He doesn't want this sin, confess, sin, confess cycle, you know, where uh, it's, it's more like a roller coaster ride. No, he, he has given you his Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Christ to uh, empower you to become a man and woman of God. Yes. Not perfect. Paul says he's not perfect, but man, he's pressing on. He's pressing on. So God wants us to have this, this can-do attitude. I will never give up in my mock with God. I will not deconstruct my faith in Jesus Christ. Even though that's popular today in our culture. I'm not going to do it. And so, before we press on, maybe we can do a little self-examination right here. Is unbelief hindering you right now in your walk with God? Is some habit stalling your spiritual momentum right now? Is there a habit that's clinging to you? That's holding you back and down? Is some sin demoralizing you today? What is it? Put a name on it. You know what it is. It's coming up for air right now. God, help us. What do you need to change in your life so that you're going to keep going on in your walk with Jesus Christ? What needs to happen? Let's be honest. Let's not skirt the issue, not not throw it in the suitcase and pretend it's not there. It is there. Because we look even at Reese Kaufman, a successful businessman, but he was struggling with depression. Maybe you are too. Maybe life has just beat you up so bad. We need to realize that we need to confess whatever it is, confess it, get rid of it, and realize that Jesus can help each one of us walk in victory. So we're going we're gonna to speed through. I know in your notes you have one, two, three. We're going to skip over that. Aren't you excited? 
I'm so excited. I can... I'm getting too emotional. Calm down. Calm down. Number four, I will stay on track. And I know we hit this uh, the middle of May, but we, we're gonna, I didn't get through it, so we'll pick it up, verse 16. But we, we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Paul is saying, yeah, man, I've been growing in my walk with Christ, but I want to keep on growing. I'm going to get some more miracle grow, spiritual miracle grow in my core to keep growing for God. And he's saying, let's pursue them together. Notice Paul is including himself in this verse, but we, he doesn't say you, he says we. That's what we are today. We're all we's. We're part of the we's. Aren't you glad for that today? We, that's a personal pronoun for your English majors out there, I think. Wouldn't it be terrible if I was wrong on that one? Holy smoke. Instead of we rather than you. And so those who hang tough, man, when, when we get some tough stuff hitting us in life, we do it better together. We do it better together. In Romans 12, 4 and 5, Paul writes, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body that we are many parts of one body. Here it is. And we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. All of your Lone Ranger Christians out there, you are anti-biblical with that mindset. Because that's not what Paul is saying. He is saying we all belong to each other. And man, if you've been playing that game, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. You know, I've been hurt in church, you know, eh, I've been offended. <laughs> I'm not going to go back there anymore. Snap out of it. No, seriously. Read the Bible. Because, man, you are part of each other. We are. We're part of each other. And so the sense is, you know, if you think there's a time in your spiritual journey with Jesus that you can let off the accelerator, listen, friend, that's not going to happen. That should not happen. If you think it could happen, you're being deceived. And so hold on, hold on, where Paul uses hold on, that's a military term. You saw this a few weeks ago. That's where, it's, it's a military term Paul is pulling, where the, the military unit is marching in step with each other. You don't have some dude going off by himself. You know, I'm going to march the way I want to march. I want to do it my way. No, we're all marching in sync together in the same direction. For the same cause, that Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified. And so Paul is saying to the Philippian believers here, man, come on. Man, if you're drifting, if you're coasting right now, get back with the, get back and step with what you know is right and do it well. This progress Paul talks about, he wants them to continue together in accord with the same passion. 
that they have in knowing Jesus Christ. I love this in, in the message, uh, verses 15 and 16, Philippians 3. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Yo, yo, come on, come on. I'm on the right track, man. We're on the right track. I'm going to stay on the right track. That's good, Paul. That's a good word there. Stagnant faith is the devil's playground. He loves it. He loves it when you stop growing. Because, man, he can fill your mind and heart with doubts about God and doubts about God's love for you. And, um, man, don't let that happen. Andrew Murray, uh, a South African pastor in the 1800s, put it this way. Man, is it relevant for today? In business, in study, in war, it is so often said there is no safety but to advance. To stand still is to go back. To cease effort is to lose ground. To slacken the pace before the goal is reached is to lose the race. The only sure mark of our being true Christians, of our really loving Christ, is the deep longing and the steady effort to know more of Him. Man, can you, can you feel the passion in Andrew Murray's writing here? Tens of thousands have proved that to be content with beginning well is but the first step on a backward course that ends in losing all. Let's press on. Life Church, let's press on, man. Come on! Let's press on. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. We've got to remain committed to God's word. And um, 1 Corinthians 15, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. What's that mean? That means don't drift, don't coast. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. How's that working out for you? <laughs> yeah. George Barna, uh, he, he kind of, puts a thermometer into the spiritual temperature of the church in America. Uh, he and his team issued a recent warning. He said, American Christians are undergoing a post-Christian reformation. What's that mean? The irony of the reshaping of the spiritual landscape in America is that it represents a post-Christian reformation driven by people seeking to retain a Christian identity. The most startling realization is how many people from evangelical churches are adapting unbiblical beliefs. You know why that happens? Because you're not reading your Bible. Friend, you can be deceived so easily if you stay out of the Bible. I like, I like... Um, This is what I like. Michael Brown, 
He, um, I, I, I like his stuff. He kind of, uh, he's a uh, podcast dude. And he says, are modern day believers still the salt of the earth? It's a good question. In one of the most famous passages in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to his disciples, and by extension to his followers today in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Verse 14, he continues, you, you, the followers of Jesus, are the light of the world. So, What does that exactly mean to be the salt of the earth and what does it mean to lose our saltiness? Many New Testament scholars explain that one of the main functions of salt was preservation against corruption. Applying this to the Lord's words, Jesus' followers are the saving element of the human race. They have a power of preservation which counteracts corruption and decay. As salt prevents food from spoiling, so the disciples are to prevent the corruption of morals. The presence of disciples delays the corruption of the world and its consequent judgment. Others emphasize that salt improves the taste of food, and so do the disciples are to improve the quality of the society in which they live. Still others point to both preservation and flavoring. The disciples make a purer earth and make it a better place to live. How's that going? Suffice to say that our calling to be the salt of the earth is anything but trivial. We are called to prevent the corruptions of morals, to improve the quality of the society in which we live, to make a purer earth, to make it a better place to live. The stakes are high. Take us out of the world and the corruption and rot, decadence and madness will only increase. Take us out of the world and everything falls apart. But that only applies if we ourselves really are salt, really are living differently than the world in moral and spiritual terms, really are functioning as the moral conscience of society. We can't fix something else if we ourselves are broken. He's talking to the church. We can't prevent the spread of corruption if we ourselves are corrupt. We can't function as salt if we ourselves have lost our saltiness. Ironically, salt still looks the same, whether it's salty or not, which means we can deceive ourselves by outward appearance. Outwardly, we may look fine, but what is the state of our souls? How's the condition of your soul today? Whom do we resemble more, the world or the Lord? The truth is that for more than a generation now, rather than us changing the world by shining light into dark places, by overcoming evil with good, by winning the lost and making disciples, by separating ourselves from the sin and pollution of the society, the world has largely changed us, the church. Thank God for those who are burning light, bright, and retaining their saltiness, but all too many are not, which helps explain the current state of our nation. Just as politics is downstream from culture in a country where the Christian faith is supposed to be dominant, culture is downstream from the church. In other words, it all starts in God's house. That means if you can trace back the moral and the spiritual decline of the society, you will find that much of it began among us, the professing followers of Jesus. 
Thankfully, the whole Bible calls straying believers to turn back to God in repentance. And as we do, the Lord himself forgives, restores, and renews. God, make us salty again. Amen? Amen. The fate of America depends on it. Your Bible, and as a follower of Jesus, are you reading it? The Gideons have found that Bibles that have been put in hotels in America, there's an atheistic group that has created a sticker for its members to put on the Bible when they go into a hotel room that says, warning, literal belief in this book may endanger your health and life. I would say by not reading the Bible, you will endanger your health and life, friends. Yeah. And so we need to we need to keep pressing on in our walk with Christ. Some of you may remember Vince Lombardi. <laughs> Uh, the fabled coach of the Green Bay Packers. Um, he left Wisconsin to become the head coach of the struggling Washington Redskins. It was kind of the talk of the sports world back then, and why would Lombardi leave a successful franchise in Green Bay and move to one of the worst franchises in the NFL? And Lombardi, you know, kind of caught wind of that, and his response was this, I have discovered in my life that it is more challenging to build than to maintain. And there's some spiritual truth there. It's more challenging, it's more exciting, it's more when you're growing in your faith than just maintaining it. Right? Right. So the question is, are you growing or have you lost your focus on Jesus Christ? Jesus has every intention of presenting you before his Father as holy and righteous. He's looking forward to that day. That's why it's imperative that we finish. Mike Napa, a Christian author, True Christianity, courageous Christianity, the kind that the apostles Paul and Peter and thousands of other early Christians practiced, isn't for wimps. It's not for the faint-hearted, the lukewarm, the moderately committed, or the occasional churchgoer. It's for the passionate, the ones with the courage to say, I believe God, and I will dedicate my every waking hour to his purpose no matter what it costs. How about it? Shantani, who spoke Mother's Day here, man, great talk about leaving a legacy. Just maybe if you weren't here, this is what she said. How do you finish strong? One, you grow in your love for God and get to know him and his deep love for you. I'll tell you something, man. That is so true. Grow in your love for God. Get to know him. Begin to realize how much he loves you. Two, spend time in God's word. Read it. Think about it. Obey it. 
Three, live a life of obedience. Do what it says. Do what the Bible says. Great. It's great. So true. So true. John 20, 31, John's saying, but these are written so that you may continue to believe. That's the key, man. Underline that. You may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Isn't that great? You may continue. Man, that's the theme throughout the New Testament, man. Continuing, pressing on, growing in your faith. No coasting, no cruising. Which leads us to number five. I will model Christ well, verse 17. I will model Christ well. We go back to, we go back to Michael Brown's uh, podcast here where he's saying, man, you look at our country today, take a first look at the church, man. The compromise in the church. That's what he's saying. We model Christ not so well, have we? Paul is saying, I will model Christ well. Will you do that? Will you commit to that? I'm going to model Christ well, man. Yes. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. Yes. 17, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from these who follow, those who follow our example. That word pattern means not only to become like, but also to obey. Obey. Say yes to it. The word example, follow our example, means like a model or a blueprint that you use to pattern your life after. And Paul, who's always focused on Jesus, urges the believers to, uh, to look at his example as he's following Christ. Romans 13, 11, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Ladies and gentlemen, time is running out. Wake up! For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Time, time is running out. That means Christ's return is, is near. In 1948, when Israel became a nation for the second time, that's, that ushered us into the last days. Because the second, the prophetic word that Israel will become a nation twice, that's biblical. And the odds of that happening, when you look at how that happened, friend, you know it was God. It had to be God. In 1948, and here we are, 2022, we are that much more closer to the day of the Lord. Right? So how should we live, man? I don't know about you, but I, one of my favorite events, activities, is going to the dentist. <laughs> Got my fingers crossed. Don't believe it. What happens, man? I got this little card on my refrigerator the next time I got to go. But as the day gets closer, what am I doing? I'm working a little harder. Brushing a little longer, flossing a little longer, getting that water pick, terrorizing my mouth. Why? Because I want to impress the dentist, man, when I get in there. Man, you've got great teeth. 
what have you been doing? I don't tell them I just worked harder the last week. When you know time is short and you're messing around, you're playing games with God, man. What's wrong with you? You're, you've been deceived. I got all the time in the world, man. I, I look at people, I just watch people, you know, my neighborhood, and when we're out and about. I see people are just going around like they've got all the time in the world. Friends, we are racing towards a one-world government. Full speed ahead. Biblical prophecy coming to fruition. And what are we doing? I got all the time in the world, man. Wake up, Paul says. Wake up. Wake up. Snap out of it. For our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. Time is short. So past week I read this verse to the, um, in our staff meeting because something jumped out at me. I've read this before. You've heard it before. First Chronicles 12.32. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. What jumped out at me this time was the word all. All. All these men. Not some men. Not a few of the men. All yeah. these men understood the signs of the times. Do you understand the signs of the times right now? Do you know the day we're living in right now? They understood it. And knew the best course for Israel to take. So Paul, he's talking about uh, from experience to grow spiritually, we need to hang around other people that are growing spiritually. Isn't that right? Because that's contagious. We need good examples to follow. Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That, that should be our theme as, as Jesus followers. 1 Corinthians 4.16, so I urge you to imitate me. And at home, this is a picture of my kitchen set when I was growing up in my house. Not really. <laughs> but it was something like that. Isn't that cool? Kind of looks like uh, Space Age. Sitting around the table, having conversations in our family. This is what I told my sons and daughters. If you hear me say it, you can. If you see me do it, you can. But if not, it's not allowed. It is not allowed in my house. What am I doing? I'm saying with Paul, imitate me. Follow me, man. 
This is not a game, you know, where as adults we can do these things and our kids can't. No. We'll get to that later on. But we need to be setting the example. My brother was up from Indiana a few weeks ago. We had breakfast together and the conversation floated to our dad because the longer he's been dead, the more I see him and his example to me. And we said, you know, I never heard dad swear once. Never heard him swear once. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to step up, take responsibility, and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't, don't, don't follow others. You say, I'm going to lead. I'm going to be an example. Right? right? And Paul is saying, man, I'm not, you know, it's not, I'm better than you. No, he's not saying that. Because... In verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection. He's saying, I'm not perfect, but I'm continuing to grow in my faith. I'm continuing to, to become more and more like Christ. So there never comes a time when you can say, I've got enough of Jesus in me, right? Just get on the belt line and have somebody cut you off. You know, that's a perfect way to do it, man. Come on, cut me off. And how do you respond? Uh, that's a good picture. That's a good picture. So um, Paul is saying in verse 17b, we learn from those who follow our example. Who's he, he's, he's saying Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're pursuing Christ together and forgetting what's that one thing. They're, they're part of the one thing club here. I focus on this one thing. And what's that? That's pressing on, Right? Yeah, and so Paul is um, challenging those folks. He says, um, imitate me. Now, it's interesting. He's 800 miles away, 800 miles away, and he says, follow my example. How can that be? Is there a drone flying around? You know, is there videotape of him? You know, is there, are, are there, is this Zoom call going on? You know, you can follow me, man, 800 miles away. No. No. But they can go back 10 years ago. Just like I'm, I go back in time and think of my dad's example. We can go back in time and, and, they're, and he's saying, look at my example 10 years ago. How I lived my life in front of you. Follow my example. And for Paul to be able to say that, man, with confidence. And the thing was, the Gospels at that time were not, they weren't printed. And so you had eyewitnesses who saw Jesus come out of that grave tell the next generation. They were, they were passing that on, see? And Paul is saying, look at my example as I follow after Christ. So those eyewitnesses, man, they, they did it all. Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. That's plural. That's in the plural form right there. We integrate godly characteristics in our lives by following those who are following Christ. 
pattern your lives, to fix one gaze, to take aim at. Learn from those who follow our example. Maturity occurs through imitating mature believers. Have you realized that? Maturity occurs through imitating mature believers. And um, Mark Twain put it this way, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Man, is our culture shouting that out today, right? Good examples, people of integrity. We need that in the body of Christ. There was an elephant herd in, in Africa, an uh, overpopulated area, and the authorities decided the need to kill off older males, relocate the females and the young bulls to another area. That new area was full of rhinos, and so when they, the elephants, the females, and the young bulls were settled, the rhinos started being killed off. And it wasn't being done by poachers. It was being done by these young bull elephants. The bull elephants were very aggressive, wanting to prove their elephanthood. Tough, tough. And they started killing the rhinos. But that wasn't all. They started attacking tour buses. You know? That's how messed up it was. I mean, they, they were so aggressive. That was another problem. So they decided to kill off some of these young bull elephants, but that still didn't work. And finally, they released some older males from another area into this troubled region in Africa. And guess what? It fixed the problem. Because it wasn't long before those young bull elephants got back into line. They needed an example to follow. Without older males around, they were like loose cannons. Dangerous. Can I say this, and I am grateful for the older saints at Life Church. What a gift you are. I look to you as an example. I follow your example, for which I'm grateful. David wrote in Psalm 71, 7, My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. My life is an example to many because you, God, have been my strength and my protection. Isn't that good? So good. And so Paul is saying, attempt to imitate Christ just as I am attempting to do it. And he sees the power of a good example. He does. In fact, research shows the quickest way to become proficient in anything is to imitate exactly somebody who has already mastered it. Back in the day when I started playing racquetball, I was learning the game and I played this guy named Rob Streeter and he waxed me like 21 to 1, 21 to 1 and a half. But something happened, man, because he was so good. When I would go to bed at night, I would start picturing ways to combat his hit off the wall where the ball was on the court and how to navigate that. And so I would come 21 to 4, 21 to 6. Pretty soon we became competitive with each other because he excelled at what he was doing and it raised my game. 
That's what Paul is talking about here. You want to stay an immature believer? Who are you hanging with? Who are you listening to? It's time, it's time to start hanging with those who've got a track record that are pursuing Christ and following their example. A couple weeks ago, when Dave Ogren was here, he gave me the book, Only Believe. And um, it's a story about Hanu, which is part of the Great Commission ministries that Dave is a part of. It's his life story. A spy story, a love story, a story of God's great miracles in atheistic Russia. You can see, man, I got it flagged all throughout here. I, I read it in a week. I couldn't put it down. Because Hanu, as a teenager, committed to being all in with God. And the example of his example is in this book. It's exciting. Anyway, he had, he had um, Jim Irwin, the dude who walked on the moon in 1971, got him into Russia to speak in the underground churches. And Jim said, church services in Russia are long. Don't look at your watch. Man, this is so long. I want to get out of here right now. Listen to this. Church services in Russia are long. I guess that may be because believers don't know if they will be able to come together again. Friend. Each service was normally four hours, sometimes six. At the end of the service, as with all the others, the congregation stood and slowly waved their hands and sang, May God be with you till we meet again. Erwin said, I will never forget those haunting, tear-stained faces, the music, and the love they gave. Erwin added, our Christian lives will never be the same because we were with our Russian brothers and sisters. A Russian believer is one who has made a deep commitment that commitment will restrict his educational and job opportunities, his entire future on this earth. A decision for Christ is a supreme commitment. No games going on in Russia, man. Hanu's wife was in the university becoming an eye doctor. She had been an atheist. She put her faith in Christ and he kicked her out of the university. That's how they do it. Frequently, the believers asked what we had to sacrifice to be Christian in the United States. In spite of the restrictions and persecutions, we came away feeling that the believers were the only true happy people in Russia. And so, in Matthew 18.6, Jesus says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's how serious Jesus took being an example of his. 
It's serious. It's time to take responsibility for your walk with Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Father, we thank you this morning. As Paul challenged the church at Philippi, Lord, we recognize that we too need to be challenged. We, it's so easy to coast and cruise. It's so easy to become apathetic. It's so easy to get caught up in living on planet Earth instead of focusing on heaven, our home for all eternity. And so today, Lord, forgive us if we have neglected you. Forgive us, Lord, if we have been caught up with life and neglected you, Lord. Forgive us. Help us, Lord, to be like the sons of Issachar who... All of them recognize the signs of the times, the days in which we're living in. Help us, Lord, to do that well. Help us to be an example, Lord, to those around us. People are watching. They're listening. Help us to model you well, Lord. And today, maybe you're, you know, you've been fighting, having a relationship with Jesus. And today you can say, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Sin will keep me away from you. It will keep me out of heaven. I recognize, Jesus, you went to the cross. You paid for my sin in full. You went into the grave, and three days later you came out victorious. Thank you for forgiving my sins, Lord. Thank you for paying that price in full. And Lord, through the power of your spirit, I'll live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe you, Lord. I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.